We started this teaching series called DNA last week, and uh, it's like who we are and what we do. And I think it's important. I, I haven't done this in the three years that we've been running as a church, and I thought I need to do this so that folk understand what it, what it means to, to be part of this church community co- uh, called Renew. And so um, last week I um, spoke about uh, the call to worship, why we say Sundays are so important. But uh, I want to continue that and, and, I'm, and, and, and get into uh, the other aspects of, of practical aspects of what's important for our church. And really, this teaching series is about how we actually live out our faith as disciples. How we live out our faith as followers of Jesus. I started off last week using an illustration of a VW microbus, a Volkswagen Kombi, if you're familiar with you know, those little VW microbuses. And I used it as an illustration. When I was a, a young teenager, my family needed a bigger vehicle. And um, so they bought a VW microbus. We were a camping family, but this little bus was not powerful enough to tow the caravan that we had. It only had a little 1900cc motor in, in it. And so the VW bus had to go through a conversion. That bus had to convert. And the way it converted was by taking out the 1900cc engine and putting in a big 3.5 cylinder motor into that engine, which gave it all the power it needed to pull, uh, to pull a, a caravan. So uh, we had to put this powerful engine in the vehicle for it to uh, do something that it could not previously do. It had to be converted, right, to do something that it couldn't do before, which is kind of what happens in the life of every believer, We don't have an engine conversion, we have a heart conversion, right? We have a heart conversion. The day comes for each one of us to make a decision about Jesus. The day comes for each one of us to make a decision about whether we're going to make the Christian way of life our own or not. That day comes. And so the day comes, I think for most of us, that day has come where we have made the decision to convert. And to convert means to change. To change. You're still something of what you were before, but now somehow something very, there's something very different about who you are. You're no longer who you used to be. Um, you're, a, you're, a, we, you're a new creation in Christ. And so there are things that people who have converted to Christianity will do. There, will, there are things that they do. These are not things that people who have not converted to Christianity will do, but people who've converted will do them, right? So for a convert, we do these things because we, 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 we're no longer who we once were. We've been through a conversion. We've had, a, we've had something happen to our hearts. We've had a heart conversion. Like I said, we are new creations in Christ. And, and this whole idea is based on the promise of Jesus That he brings the power to transform us. That's why we surrender our lives to him. Because he brings the power to change us, to transform our lives. But what we need are accessible, concrete, non-legalistic, tangible practices to live this way of life. We've got to have some stuff going on in our life to live this way of life. We need a way in which to experience the depth and the riches of the Christian way of life. So here at Renew, there are some things that we do. And it's part of our DNA, so to speak, right? It's 
It's part of who we are. And we do these things because this is what the Christian church does. That's why we do them. So as a congregation of converts here at Renew, there are three things that we, that we want to learn to do well, right? And the first of these things is that we want to learn to love God well. The second thing is that we want to learn to love ourselves well. And thirdly, we want to learn to love others well, right? We want to learn to love God well because if I'm going to love God well, then change is going to begin to happen in my life. That, that transformation is going to come in my life. And I also need to learn to love myself well. I need to know who I am in God, who I am in Christ. I'm a saint. I'm a new creation. Man, I'm not who I was. My identity is not, it's not about me. My identity is found in him. And we're living in a world these days where people are all about their identity. Who am I? What am I? You know, am I male or female? I'll make it up, whatever. No, we need to understand who we are in Christ. And if we understand who we are in Christ, we're going to be able to love ourselves well. And when we love ourselves well and in the correct way, we're going to learn how to love others well in the correct way. Right? So those are, those are our three spiritual formation distinctives here at Renew. Loving God well, loving ourselves well, and loving, other, and, and loving others well. And then we also have a rule of life. We have a rule of life at Renew, which is, a, which is really just a way of helping us to grow individually uh, in, 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 uh, when it comes to living out our faith. Now, very often people will come to God and come to Jesus and, 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 and go, well, now, what do I need to do now in my personal time with God? This is what our rule of life is all about, right? This, this, you can find this on our website There's a, uh, at the information desk. It's there. And it's just a, it's just a thing, a, li- a little f- a way of going, well, if you b- begin to adopt these rhythms and practices into your life, the likelihood is that things are going to change in your, in your life if you begin to do them. I guarantee you, if you follow that rule of life for a year, come back and speak to me at the end of 24. You're not going to be the same. But that's there to help us as individuals. But because we're in a loving community here at Renew, there are also some practical things that we encourage everyone to do. Let me read them to you. This little brochure is on the information desk, and on the back of it it says, there are four things that we ask you to do. The first is to join us on Sundays. And I dived into that last week. And if you weren't here last week, shame on you. Listen to the podcast. you got to catch up. Okay. So the first thing is to join us on Sundays. The second thing that we ask everyone to do here at Renew is to join a small group. Now, don't go and hide under your seat this morning. You need to open your ears and listen to your pastor. All right. So join us on Sundays. The second thing is to join a small group. The third thing is to find somewhere to serve. And the fourth thing is to give your wallet into the bucket that we pass down the rows every Sunday. No, we don't do that here at Renew, but we honor God in the area of our finances. And so the fourth thing is that we give a portion of our income to the work of God through the church on a regular basis. And so we're into number two this week. And so I want to talk to you about uh, joining a small group, this request to join a, a small group. And so I've entitled the message this morning, Our Friendship and Care. Because that's what it's about, our friendship and care. This is not about me, it's all about we. You see, none of us can grow spiritually on our own. The whole point of a church is to get us into a community of people where we can learn to love one another and enter into what, 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 what we might call a shared life. Because growth happens in the context of relationships. Right? None of us can grow or heal or become holy without spiritual community. 
Spirituality is not just something between me and God. No, no, I get saved and I get baptized into community, into the church. And there's a word in the Bible for this, and it's a really great word. It's a fantastic word, but you're going to be so underwhelmed by it. Fellowship. Fellowship. You don't really hear about this word outside of church. Fellowship. You know, at your cricket club, they don't say, do you want to come for some fellowship? You know? At your stamp collecting club, do you want to come for some fellowship? No, they don't use this word, fellowship. It's only in, a, in the context of a church. Fellowship. And, it, and it's, it's become a bit of a cliche, you know, because it conjures up in people's minds this idea of churchiness. You know, churchy people having churchy conversation, <laughs> eating churchy food, drinking churchy drinks, doing churchy things, you know, in a churchy setting. Churchiness. Fellowship. Oh, churchiness. I've been watching this movie, the series, The Crown, my goodness, and now my British accent is right there. <laughs> my wife tells me, call me your majesty. <laughs> I mean, what on earth? <laughs> Fellowship. Churchiness. But listen, folk, that's not, churchiness is not what fellowship is about. If you go into the Bible and you begin to dig into the Bible, you find that the early church was quite the opposite. In the, in the early church, they had, a, had such a profound experience of honest, reconciled, barrier-descending life together that they, that they had to find a word to describe it. And that's where we get this word fellowship from. It comes from a Greek word. The word that they settled on was the word koinonia. Koinonia, right? Because they needed a way to describe this radical kind of sharing and participation and communion and generosity and identifying with, which meant that if you became a part of this, this church family, it was unlike any other human community. If you were part of this, you were not on your own. You're not alone. And so what you find in the early church is that when, when somebody went through heartbreak or loss, people without being asked would bring meals. They would bring food. They would extend care to them. They would bring them gifts. They would visit them. They would run errands for them. They, they would help them do all they could to care for them. You see, that's koinonia. That's, that's the church. Or if someone was without a job or without a home or in a sudden crisis and they didn't have the adequate financial resources, a brother or a sister in Jesus would come, and, come along and say, I can help you out. I can help and it will be a joy for me to help you. And so what you find with this early church is that they, they shared their resources. They were generous. That generosity just flowed without it being requested. That's quinonia. Or correction, right? Because quinonia is not just a soft thing. So when somebody was going down the wrong path, making big mistakes, somebody in that community, a deeply loving friend in that community would come along and say, I care way too much to see you go down this path. I care for you way too much to see you self-destruct. I'm not going to stand here and say nothing. I've got to speak to you. And so they courageously spoke the truth in love. That's kononia. Or joy and delight and, and fun. Just taking the time to build relationships. That's kononia too. And so what we see in the early church is that fellowship included the practice of engaging in common activities like worship, learning from the Bible, sharing, 
confessing, serving other people for the purpose of their mutual growth, together in community. And that actually resulted in, in the blessing of other people outside of that, that community. That's what fellowship is. This is what people who converted to faith in Jesus Christ did. And the most powerful and, and, and most gripping description of this Jesus way of life, of this fellowship, is found in the second chapter of Acts. And it's really a famous chapter about the church. And, and what you see with the early church is that they, what you see in Acts is that they, they, um, they began to form a new way of life. A new way of human beings doing life together. And anybody could do it, right? Anybody could be part of it. It was costly. It's, it was going to cost you because it involved self-sacrifice. But it was compelling because it was outrageously joy-producing. And by the way, it's the reason we're here. Because it changed the world. Here's what it says. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through to 47. Talking about these early Christians. It says they devoted themselves. They gave all of who they were. They were, they were all in. They were committed. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There had never been anything like this before. There had never been a movement like this before. Yeah, sure, they had synagogues and the Jewish people would gather together it was uh, the time of the second temple, second temple Judaism in Jerusalem. And so they had a certain way of doing things. But none of this kind of stuff was going on. It had never happened before. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to start with an observation that comes towards the end of this passage where it says that they got together in their homes. And they broke bread and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts in their homes. Uh, this would not have been the whole church in a single home. Hello. It wouldn't be the whole church in one person's home. It would have been small groups of people gathered together in those homes. Six people, eight people, ten people. That's what was going on. Now eating together, that's always been an important part of fellowship right from the very beginning. But just because you eat with someone, even a Christian, doesn't make it fellowship. I have other friends outside of my small group and I eat with them and um, we have good community together, but there's some things missing in that, which doesn't bring it to true Christian fellowship. The text says over here that they ate with glad and sincere hearts. Glad and sincere hearts, or some versions say generous hearts. So from these words, we can get an idea of what fellowship is really about. The kind of fellowship that they were having with one another. And this is what I want to I kind of pull out. Just three points here this morning. So the first thing that I see from the book of Acts is that their fellowship was authentic. Authentic fellowship. Look at that slide. 
Who's on the media this morning? Come and see me afterwards. Okay. There was authentic fellowship going on, right? People were so gripped by the good news of Jesus that Jesus gives grace and, and forgiveness that when they came together and they broke bread and they ate, their masks came off. They showed who they really were. They came out of hiding. They began to get real with each other about their struggles and their temptations and their sin. And it's quite amazing. The scripture says that they ate with sincere hearts, with generous hearts. They were being open over here. There wasn't any pretense. This is who I am. And so fellowship is where the early church, where who they were on the outside was the same as who they were on the inside. That's Vina. That's Charlene picking on you this morning. They are who they say they are. Right? That's what was going on. And I say this, I know it's a bit flippant, but I think too often these days, because we all aspire to be like Jesus, we, we all too often engage in fake fellowship. Fake fellowship, you know? Everybody's so kind and polite. We smile at each other. Everything's just fine, you know? We pretend like it's, it's all good. Everybody loves each other at our church. We all like everybody, you know? No, you know, nobody has any room for not liking anyone. There's no doubts. There's no anxiety. Nobody has deep personal problems. Everybody's children are perfect. We were in the perfect church. No, no, that's not fellowship. It's not fellowship. Fellowship doesn't mean pretending to be more spiritual than you really are. Fellowship means um, you get real. It doesn't mean you engage in superficial, safe, religious small talk. No, you get real. See, that's what true fellowship is all about. And fellowship is not boring. It's not supposed to be boring. It's not supposed to be surface talk. It's, it's not about looking good, right? It's, it's not a cliche. You know, if you look at the, in the Bible, in the scripture, one of the most striking features of the disciples' fellowship was just how much they messed up. That was the reality. Peter denied Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. Thomas doubted Jesus. James and, and John self-promoted to Jesus. Paul persecuted the followers of Jesus. Zacchaeus cheated people. Jesus himself was known for engaging with, with sinners, spending time with sinners. And so they were prepared and willing to be real. Well, what you find with all the religious people was they were looking on and saying, it can't be like that. They, they were in hiding. They were pretending. And that kind, of, that kind of way of living just kills fellowship. Where you're pretending that it's all okay and this is the right way and you're not getting into grips with the messiness of reality. You see, once that church got started, what we find is that there were two characters who tried to pretend, who tried to hide the reality of who they were. A couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they pretended that they were more generous than they really were in their hearts. And they wanted people to think well of them. And they landed up getting to a place where who they were on the outside was not who they were on the inside. And they lied. And who knows what happened to them? They came into church. Can you imagine if what happened to them happened here? We'd be in such trouble. Because they both dropped dead. Pretense will kill a church. And so the message was really clear. No pretending. You know, we often think that getting real is dangerous. You know, we often think that, that 
Pretending is safe. <laughs> it's better for me to pretend because that's a safe space. But you want me to be real? No, that's just way too dangerous. But with God and with sin and with addiction and all these things, with, and when it comes to the spiritual realm of your soul, getting real is what is safe. No matter how much it might hurt. Pretending is what is fatal, no matter how good it might feel. You see, true fellowship is raw, it's real, it's honest, it's hard, and it's messy, and it involves risk. So, we need a safe place where deep friendships can be formed and trust can be built because of the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And that takes time. It takes time. Which means that if we're going to do this, that if we're going to live this way, we've got to start somewhere. Because it takes time. We've got to start somewhere. And if you're ever going to experience true, authentic fellowship in this church community, we've got to have the courage to take a step and, and begin to build this into our lives. We actually have to have the courage to take a risk and open up our lives to one another. Not keeping things in the dark. Getting real about who, what's going on with, in me. You know, Jennifer just opened up with a scripture from John about the light this morning. That's what we, we've, got to, we've got to move out of the dark. We've got to take all of the darkness that's going on in our life and we want to pretend about that and not be honest about that. We've got to, we've got to come out of the dark and come into the light and get real. And yeah, whoo, whoo, <gasps> man, that's whew, it's tough. But it's healing and it's life-giving. And God goes to work because you've brought it into the light. The Apostle John quoted this morning, put it like this in 1 John 1 verse 7. He said, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what do we have with one another? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Fellowship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. From all sin, the best place for this kind of fellowship in the world that we're living in today is in a small group. And it's not something that happens overnight. It takes time. Which is why I, I'm not interested in small groups for the sake of group multiplication. And I know in some church environments, that's what they want. They want to multiply, multiply, multiply. How many small groups can we have? I couldn't give a hoot about that. I'm interested in, in groups where people come together and take a step, take a risk, where they say, I'm going to just risk forming a deep bond of friendship with these people. I'm going to bring care, and I'm praying that they'll bring care to me. But let me tell you something. You can go to a small group this coming week, and it ain't going to happen. Because it takes time. It takes time. I, I put out a, a, te a text to our small group this last week, and I, I got several answers back. Is Lisa here? I don't see her. But um, uh, she said that, that we've been together for pretty much 10 years as a group, a small group. Hey, Krista, it's about 10 years. Now, um, you said, well, Renew's only been going for three years. How can you be in a group for 10 years? Well, it's, it's kind of a group that got started in a church before, and it's just kind of traveled. Nobody wanted to leave because of friendship and because of care. Ten years. 
Sure, people have moved on from that group. And every time people have moved on, we've always welcomed new people into that group to, to join us. And, and, and we've continued to work at building trust and openness and authenticity. But openness in our sharing and our praying together and opening up our lives has taken time. It took Krista nine years. She just got there last year. I'm joking, Krista. <laughs> it takes time. You, we all know that it takes time. But here's the point, folk. We've got to make a start somewhere. We've got to make a start sometime if we're going to say, hey, I want to tap into what I'm reading about here. You know, I read about a young woman who was a, she was a new Christian and she joined a small group in her church and um, praying was like completely new territory for her. So at the end of this group session, the, the leader said, oh, well, why don't we just spend some time in pray, you know, prayer and, and stuff. And this, this young lady had, uh, had a boyfriend who was just a bad piece of work. He was abusive, foul-mouthed. He'd taken her money. He'd cheated on her. And she was so troubled by this. And this is first time in this group. And so like, she's like, what am I going to pray? What am I going to pray? And, and it comes to her turn to pray. And she says, God, I want you to kill him. <laughs> that was her prayer. And, and another woman who's a like, more mature Christian in the group, she goes, oh, no, 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 no God. We, <laughs> we don't want you to kill him. We want you to redeem him and forgive him and heal him and, and restore him. And the first woman said, no, no, God. Then he'd get away with it. Kill him. <laughs> like dueling prayers in this group. And... Uh, it took some time and some honesty and acceptance and love, but eventually the woman got past the killing prayer to, you know, your will be done, right? But the point here is that fellowship requires authenticity. So if, even if you join a group and you've never done this kind of thing before, you've never prayed in a group, you've never opened up your life, I want to tell you that, that that's what we want, authentic fellowship, because God will bless you and he'll grow you. And you know what? He can totally handle it even when you're completely honest in your prayers. Here's the second thing that I see about this early church was that when it came to fellowship, there was commitment. It was committed fellowship. Uh, the beginning of this text that we've just read in Acts chapter 2 tells us that they were committed. It says that they devoted themselves. They gave everything. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were committed. The apostles' teaching was all about the life and message of the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? And, and that's what we devote ourselves to when we read Scripture so that our minds and our thinking begins to change. And what you find in this, this entire chapter here of Acts chapter 2 is, um, is that, when, that their, their, their commitment to fellowship, their devotion to it, came because they were, ha they were sharing in these activities together of learning and eating and praying, sharing what they had. They were committed to it. They, they were devoted to it. The more they were devoted, the more committed they were, the more devoted they became. But again, the point is here yeah, that this kind of life doesn't happen by accident. Right? Especially in our culture, nobody just drifts into committed fellowship. But the Bible tells us that they devoted themselves to it. It doesn't say that they met together when they felt like it. It says they were devoted to it. Can you imagine if Debbie said to me, Andrew, what time are you going to be home for dinner tonight? If I said to her, well, I'll be there when I feel like it. Um, I might not be in the mood for dinner, you know. I'll let you know if I can make it or not. You, I can already see she'll correct my attitude like one, two, three. Bang, bang, bang. Your majesty, right? <laughs> but I, I couldn't come with that half-hearted kind of commitment. This requires full commitment because table fellowship in our family is, is a non-optional, right? That's something we do every day. I mean, if you sign a contract to go and work at some place, you know, 
You don't say to them, oh, that's great, thank you, nice salary. Uh, I'll just see if I, you know, whether I show up tomorrow or not. You don't have that attitude. And here's the thing about devoting yourself to fellowship. Ooh, this is going to kill you. Not literally. Here's the thing about devoting yourself to fellowship. You lose the freedom to do whatever you want with your time whenever you want to. This is the thing about devotion. This is the thing about commitment. You lose the freedom to do whatever you want with your time whenever you want to. But I promise you, if you don't devote yourself to fellowship, you lose the freedom to truly be known and loved and healed and cared about. The early church devoted themselves to this fellowship. And people have continued to do this for centuries now. In all kinds of contexts, not because the person in charge told them to do it, not even because God told them that they had to do it. No, they knew. They knew that they were part of something that was affecting their lives. It was life-changing. And the more they devoted themselves to it, the more they learned, the more they prayed, the more they shared, the more they struggled, the more they cared, the more they loved, the more they received from it. And so I'm telling you this morning, when you devote yourself to the fellowship and practice of certain basic activities together with other people, God begins to work in that scenario. God begins to work in our lives because we contain more of God together than we do on our own. Here's the third thing. I'm going to close up with this, this point here is that, that I see from this early church. It was that they, who did this slide again? Okay, sorry. Uh, sharing fellowship, right? They shared in their fellowship. Um, I think if there's, if there's a single word at the core of this notion of fellowship, it's the word sharing. Here's the thing about that word koinonia. It's used in, in the context of sharing in different ways. You know, um, for those early Christians, it was often used as, as bringing a financial gift that people would share together. And if you know anything about the first century world, you know, poverty was... a uh, terrible. It was, it was worse than we could ever imagine. If you couldn't pay off a debt, if you owed people money and you couldn't pay for it, they could actually come and make you a slave, sell you off into slavery. They could lock you up in prison, right? That was the, the first century. Starvation was an everyday occurrence. But what happened with this church in this community that got so filled with love for God and love for each other, what happened was that rich people and poor people came together on an equal footing. And some people had possessions. And they wanted to help other people so much that they would go and they'd sell some of the stuff that they had to, to bring it back to help other people. The scripture tells us about some of them owning properties and they would sell that property off and they would bring it to the fellowship and they would say, please make sure that this gets to these people who need it. There'd never been anything like this before. No community like this. There was a fellowship where people... Um, just gladly opened up their homes and opened up their lives and shared their food with one another. It says that they did it with glad and sincere hearts. No condescension. No separation based on status. And, I, and you know, I was thinking about this because so often what happens in church world is people land up taking advantage of others. And I was thinking, you know, it had to have happened in the first century church as well. There must have been people there taking advantage of the generosity of others. People who heard the church, you know, there was free food at that church. We're going over there. I'm sure that happened. But the point with these people was that they just stayed generous. 
They, they said, I'm going to live a life as a joyful steward of what God has given me. Not as an owner, as a steward. Because they saw in Jesus that the goal is not to prolong and enrich this temporary life. You know, too often we think we know how long we're going to live for. Got it under control, yeah? And that's the other thing. We think we've got everything under control. And all too often, we spend our lives just gathering more and more and more and more. But you know, we can't take it into eternity. The only thing that we can take with us are other people. That's the only thing. And so part of fellowship is sharing. And I think it was that spirit of sharing that led to the, the, the outrageous joy that we read about it with that early church, you know, even in the middle of their suffering. I think it was the spirit of sharing that made the rest of the people outside of the church joyful that the church existed. That's why the scripture tells us they had favor with them because they were going, look at these people. But it's not only what we have in our pantry or what we have in our bank account that we share. We also share the truth with each other, right? We, saw this, we see this with the church as well, the early church. The Bible says that we need to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And that's part of how we grow in fellowship. And so where there's a difficult truth that needs to be spoken, we need to do it. But Christine, it's always better to keep quiet, isn't it? I know that the truth has got to be spoken in this situation. It's not going to be me. Let, let somebody else do it. And so because we don't do that, churches can become places where people suffer because of terminal niceness. They never get to true fellowship because when a subject that gets brought up and it creates tension, you know, or you know, somebody's feathers get ruffled, somebody jumps up to quickly change the subject or let's just smooth things over. Let's just bring it back to a surface level. Let's not engage so deeply. But Jesus never did this. Jesus ruffled a lot of feathers. And sometimes in our world today, people read Acts chapter 2 and they think, wow, what an amazing church this was. Just wonderful. I wish our church was like such nice people. Look at them, really nice people, sharing, getting along. You know, why can't we be like that? That's a lot of hoo-ha. Listen, the early church had all kinds of conflicts. When you read you find that they began to argue about the widows. You know, there was arguing going on because some groups were getting too much food and others were getting less. They, they, they argued about, you know, the Gentiles who were coming into the church. There were big arguments about the rules that they had to keep. There was turmoil. Paul and Barnabas fought so badly about a colleague that they had split, split up, broken relationship. A man named Simon Magus got jealous and tried to buy the Holy Spirit. And Peter like, just like barked, barked all over him, like told him in no uncertain terms. Paul got angry with Peter because of Peter's prejudice and legalism. Peter was like, you know, oh, you Gentiles are welcome and everything, you know, but you know what? I'm not going to eat with you. I'm going to go and eat with the religious Jews. Paul put him in his place, grabbed his nose and said, come and smell reality right over here. There was stuff going on in that early church. These were the real disciples of Jesus. Speaking the truth is what they did. And it didn't kill them. It grew them. It grew them. And so, folk, we've got to be willing to speak the truth in love, in our spiritual relationships, and in our small groups. And when you're in a small group where there's authentic fellowship going on, you know what? It's going to be better received. People are going to be open to the truth being spoken in love. Because speaking the truth in love is part of 
authentic fellowship, sharing fellowship, committed fellowship. Here's the other thing about sharing when it comes to fellowship. We share in our sufferings. Paul wrote this in Galatians uh, 6 verse 2. He said, share each other's troubles and problems. Share each other's troubles and problems. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. That's the great commandment. Share each other's troubles and problems. You know, Debbie and I have been part of this small group, like I said, for like, like a decade now or so. And, and I can tell you, it hasn't been a smooth ride for us. You think I want to be a pastor, really? I'm, I'm not a really great pastor. And I've had a rough ride as a, from a pastor point of view. I've often said to God, why me? I immigrated to the wrong country because it's been jolly hard. I've been through so much church turmoil, I think it's worse than what I read about in Acts. Thank the Lord for my small group. Thank the Lord for my small group. Because in moments of sadness, in moments of uncertainty, in moments of illness, you ask the people who are in our group, I could be dead honest. And we talk about things. And the other people do the same things. And we pray about those things. And it's such a joy to be able to have a group of people who say, Andrew, we want to pray with you. Andrew and Debbie, we want to pray with you. That touches me deeply. We don't have to be perfect. It's just, we just who we are. And the thing about shared suffering is that it has a, it has a strange power. I don't know why I'm bawling like a baby. You see, I'm just not a great pastor. Anyway, there's a, the thing about shared suffering is that when you're sharing in each other's problems and, and troubles, people get it because they've experienced it. They've been through something like it. And so there's that understanding and there's friendliness and there's support. And you don't just find that elsewhere. You know, I'm an immigrant. I don't have family here at all. My family is my small group. My family is this church. You are my family. And so, you know, people who know what you're going through it's amazing when those people will stand with you and pray with you and care for you and support you. It counts heaps. And that's what small groups are about. That's what they're supposed to be about. Really, it's about friendship and care within a church community. That's what, friendship is, that's what fellowship is about. Friendship and care. And the best place for it to be developed, the best place for it to be experienced is within a small group of people who get together in a home on a regular basis. And, he, and so here's my goal. Here's my mission today. Here's my mission. It's quite straightforward. I want everybody to do one of two things. I would love for everyone to be part of a small group or for everyone that's already in a group, I want your group to get going again. Now, I'm not going to be legalistic about this. I'm not going to not talk to you if you're not in a small group. I still love you. I'm not going to, that's, not, that's not what this church is about. But what I'm telling you is, that I, is, that I, is what I would love to see happen in this church. That's what I'd love to see happen. I'd love for you to get into a small group. And if you're in, if you're in a group already, I, I would love for your group to get going again. And listen, you know, for, for people to get into a small group in our church, we only have about six groups. And most of those groups are already at kind of capacity. Some of them are over. They've really got probably too many people. And so what we need here at Renew are, are more small groups. So maybe you could start a group. Maybe you could start a small group. 
And some of you are completely capable of doing it. You're capable. You do not need to have 10 degrees like I have. You do not need to be a theologian like I am to start a small group. You really and truly don't. And it's not that hard. All you need is a little bit of courage to start. A little courage. That's what you need. It's quite easy. All you need to do is pick an evening on, on a fortnightly basis. And here's the thing. Here's what we're doing this year. Because I know some of you, your schedules are so busy. Your lives are so busy. You know, it's just impossible to meet every fortnight. Here's what I'm going to ask you if it's difficult every fortnight. Pick one evening a month. That's doable. One evening a month. And get a group of people together and do life together. And, and, and <clears throat> I have to say this. The way that you get people together, do you know how to do it, Christian? Make friends. At church, you make friends. And if you're going to start a group, what are you going to do when you want them to come to your group? You tell them there's nice food there. That's the wrong answer. <laughs> Before you tell them there's nice food there, what do you do? Invite them. Invite them. How old are you? Twelve years. You're a, shake my hand. You're a genius. If you want people to join your group, you invite them. You invite them. Don't come to me. Oh, I'm going to start a small group. Can you give me names? No. Buzz off. You invite them. That's how Debbie and I started our group. We just reached out to a few folk and said, hey, Jacob, you and Lisa and your boys, do you want to join us? And they said, yeah, we'll join you. They've been with us since the beginning. We invited them. And they've gone off and invited other people. They don't even tell me about it. I'll say, who are you? Oh, well, Jacob invited me. Oh, nice to meet you. That's how you get people into a small group. You invite them. You invite them. And you do it for like... Two hours or so. And, and if it's not a fortnight, once a month, two hours or so. And you share a meal. And if it's too difficult to share a meal, then just have tea and coffee and some dessert. And you talk. That's all you do. You just talk about your life. You talk about each other's life. Give people room to, to talk about their lives. And then maybe you pick a spiritual subject. And then you just say, well, we're going to talk about this tonight. Maybe we're going to talk about the sermon from last week or... Here's something that's been going on, and, and then maybe you just find a scripture. You don't even have to have all the correct answers. Honestly, you don't. You might need to say, I don't know. Let's investigate. Let's Google it. Let's find out. Whatever, right? That's, but you, you have a spiritual element to the conversation. And then towards the end of the evening, you just say, well, let's just spend some time in prayer. And you don't force people to pray. You just allow them to pray. As we, That's what we do in our group, like whoever wants to pray. We Five minutes, ten minutes sometimes, and people will pray. Not everybody prays every time. And then we close. And that is all you need to do. And it's easy. All it needs is courage and for you to be willing and for you to actually say, this fellowship deal, I'd, I'd like to tap into that because I think that there's some value in my life being a part of that. That's my prayer, that God would lead us into that kind of fellowship. I really, I promise you, I promise you that if you follow Jesus in the practice of, of fellowship and sharing life together, you will, to some extent, experience a, a greater level of meaning and acceptance and joy and love. And, and, and that is so much better than living in spiritual isolation.
or living in a, in a place where it's, it's just these people and that's where I'm comfortable with. Sometimes you've got to take that risk. And you'll be glad if you take the risk. You'll be glad because God will give you a sincere and glad heart. You, you'll have meals that you'll remember. You'll have the freedom of being able to take your mask off and say, this is who I am. You'll know the strength of being able to give to other people and receive from other people. And when you get to the end of your life, you won't be haunted about whether your life had meaning or not. Amen.